You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, alluring allegiance of allies, allowing alliterations about alligators. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 59, and of course, I am your humble host, Karen, and we are your triad of trivia tricksters who treasure triceratops and triscodecophobia. Mm. I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And no Chris, hence I said triad. Uh, Chris is on vacation in Japan, so hopefully... Does Chris like Japan? Oh, Oh. I think so. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I I wasn't aware of that. Mm. We we miss him dearly, and uh, we can't wait until he comes back. And without further ado, let's jump into our first general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hot Shot. And here I have a random Trivial Pursuit card, and you guys have your barnyard buzzers, and let's do this. Let's answer some questions. All right. Here we go. Blue Wedge for Geography. What country are you in if you're called an April Gawk after falling for an April Fool's Day joke? And that's wow. spelled G O W K. An April Gawk. April Gawk. Huh. Yeah. I'll guess Australia? Incorrect. Okay. New Zealand? Incorrect. It is yeah. Scotland. April Gawk. Okay. April Gawk. <laughs> All right. Pink wedge for pop culture. What Gilligan's Island character also goes by the name Jonas Grumby? Uh, that is the skipper. Skipper. Yes. I think it's only mentioned in the in the pilot or the very first episode. Oh, yeah. Wow. They do mention it, yeah. And Yellow Wedge, here we go. What cable TV show follows the exploits of Henry VIII? Uh, the Tudors? Yes, yeah. the Tudors. Uh, pretty steamy. <laughs> Purple Wedge. What author coined the dollar baby deal, letting student filmmakers adapt his short stories for one dollar? Stephen King. Correct. Stephen mm. King. Which is actually a really smart That is. Well. I didn't know that. That's very cool. A really nice thing to do, too. Yeah. For yeah. one dollar. Huh. Mm-hmm. All right. Green wedge for science. What aquatic animal can literally spill its guts when frightened? Oh my god, your eyes. I'm like, its liver and lungs come out. Man. Sea turtle. I'm just kidding. Is it a squid? Or, I mean, is it a squid or octopus? Incorrect. Hmm. It is actually a sea cucumber. Uh, Ew. 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 The purpose of the purge is a mystery, but the organs do not regenerate. Huh. Yeah. What? They just kill themselves? Do they die? It's like a one-time last-ditch effort. To what end? To what end? <laughs> <laughs> to what end? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Orange Wedge. Last question. Oh, God, this is good. A silhouette of what player is pictured in the NBA logo? Oh. I thought it was just oh, yeah. a generic dude. Oh, no. This is a great one. Yes. Uh, that is, of course, Jerry West. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, he was just an iconic player at the time they came up with the logo. Cool. I wonder if they paid him. I don't think they did. I don't think that he got <laughs> paid. I don't think it was enough of an honor to be the logo. In fact, one of his nicknames is the logo. Even Really? Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and it's you know cool. it's, it's well known among the players, yeah, that he is the, the basis for the logo. I thought it was just a normal dude. Now I'm curious about all the other sport logos. 
Like, if they're based on real players, too? I think they're all meant to be generic, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the only one that's based on a recognizable, or known to be based on a recognizable person. Oh, cool. All right, good job, Brains. So, uh, I first want to say that I want to dedicate this episode to a special someone, more like someone in addition to the intense and emotional roller coaster of events in boston this past week um something else happened that i thought deserved a little bit of tlc from uh from us good job brain in the connecticut town of shelton uh there's a library the huntington branch library and they had a resident pet slash mascot snake a corn snake and her name is peaches <laughs> very cute and peaches is a local celebrity and a hit with all the kids who come to the library and she's been living in her tank at the library for like eight years so a few weeks ago some anonymous jerk face uh one night intentionally poured heavy duty cleaning solvent what? onto peaches and into her tank and sadly peaches the snake died and not only is the library staff like saddened by by this loss but a lot of the kids are just heartbroken because i'm saddened by this i I just that's that's terrible it's so so sad but it it sounds like peaches had a great life at the library and you know she was surrounded by people who loved her every day and uh, we actually sent the library a, a condolence card for peaches and and if you like to too i'll put up the library's address in the blog post on the website so maybe you can send something nice to honor peaches and uh in memory of peaches we thought it'd be fun to do an episode on the slithering and swarming and slimy wonderful creatures of our world uh so this week we're talking about creepy crawlies Okay, well, this is, I would say, a less heartwarming uh, story about a, a slimy or slithery creature in the news. In Florida, they've had an outbreak of giant African snails. Oh, I saw that in the news. They're yeah. huge. Oh, oh, I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge as in. Uh, By like, snail standards. Yeah, yeah. It's like you can hold in your hand. They can get up to around eight and a half inches long. They're, call them rat-sized. Ooh. <laughs> There's, I saw a video of someone giving one a bath and this thing. <laughs> Why would you give Why it a bath? Why would you bath? give a snail a bath? Because you can. It looked like it was. This sounds like the first it. half of a Laffy Taffy joke. Is <laughs> Why did you give a snail a bath? Oh, what's the answer? I don't know. Dana, you're the best at these. Yeah. Uh, He's feeling sluggish. Yeah. I don't know. Oh. Yeah. Um, I saw this news, news story on CNN posed in a very formal matter about like, oh, the snail oh. invasion. And of course, the first comment that this news story got, I thought it was like a serious comment at first. And he said, I heard these snails are even big enough to drive a car. (laughs) One particularly fast vehicle was festooned with the letter S. All the police could say was, look at that S car go. And I lost it. I know it's an old joke. Yeah, womp womp. S car go. (laughs) But it's on CNN. (laughs) Bravo, bravo. (laughs) So I don't think they can drive a car, but they can eat houses. They eat stucco. (gasps) 
they're eating the stucco, they're looking for calcium to make their shells bigger. It helps them get bigger. Oh, my God. They can eat, like, little bones and rocks, and so they're a big so, problem. So did they ju- – what, like, how did they get here? Did they just get here somehow, or are they an invasive species, or – They're an invasive species. They're actually all over the world. There's outbreaks of these snails all over the world in, in kind of tropical or humid climates. There was an outbreak of African snails in Florida in 1966 that they were able to eradicate, and those came from when a little boy went to Hawaii and came back <gasps> with snails in his pocket as pets, <laughs> and his grandmother released them into the backyard, and they had a really big problem. It took them about 10 years to get rid of them in Florida. It cost a oh million dollars in 1960s money. That <laughs> one boy. There was an out, been an outbreak in Bangalore, India, where the university was using the snails for some scientific research, and then people let them go for compassionate reasons and they've overrun the forest outside of Mangalore and if it got into like the more inhabited areas it would be a really big problem because they eat a lot of things and Barbados Barbados is overrun with them their shells are all over the highway they can they can puncture tires I don't like snails are they faster like does their speed scale up no so the thing (laughs) with these snails is apparently they are adorable like they're so big and they they have cute little faces like the person giving it a bath it kind of was cute in the in the water and I think it uses its trickery to get to get it's good looks these things are hermaphroditic so they can they have both male and female reproductive organs. And so in a small colony, they can impregnate themselves. They don't need other snails in hey, order when to... Time, when times them. are tough, yeah. you do what you, you gotta do. You they, do what you gotta do. They can live up to 10 years. Every time they lay a sack of eggs, it could have up to 1,200 eggs. Oh like, my God. They oh my God. Are, I'm just imagining like a, like opening, like go out the front door and there's just a swarm of 10 inch long snails Moving coming really at you. really slowly. Yeah, a really yeah. slow, slimy, shelled wave. Oh. And then one more thing I, I found out about these snails. In World War II... The American military actually imported them to the South Pacific Islands and to use them as an emergency food source for soldiers. I mean, they're huge. Probably high in protein, I guess. They eat a lot of things. You don't really need to worry about that. They're easy to catch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You don't expend a lot of energy hunting them down. No, No, they escaped. (laughs) <laughs> the snails escaped and got loose on the island. They were starting to really interfere with the flora on the island. And so they were like, okay, we will import these carnivorous Floridian snails. There's sna- snails from Florida, ironically, <laughs> that eat other snails. And so they imported them to the island. And instead of attacking the giant snails, they attacked all the, like, all the local snails on that island and almost made all the snails become extinct. Oh my god! It's like short-term <laughs> solution, right? They also hadn't—they hadn't perfected the targeted snail attack. <laughs> <laughs> and they're dangerous too, because these giant African land snails—they have um, rat lung disease, yes. which is like which causes meningitis or and something. Humans, yeah. Nobody in the U.S. has gotten it yet, but yeah, the snails are cute. <laughs> Your they, face, I, Colin. Yeah, yeah. I'm just well, so you could get it from handling them. There's a low probability. That oh, I can get tell you, you th- there's them. zero probability but, that I'm going to handle them, Dana. I'm, I'm not but, worried about that. I can guarantee do that. People the snails. People do use the snails for food in different parts of the world, and that's you can definitely get meningitis if you ate it an infection an infected snail. You can get salmonella from handling them. Oh my them. god. Noted. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Well. So I actually did research on another type of invasive species. And and you may recall, we kind of talked about this in our Plants Are Weird episode. Colony talked about the kogan grass. Oh, yeah. Bloodgrass. Bloodgrass, (laughs) which I lovingly call it 
the a-hole grass <laughs> is, a, is an example of invasive species and it's pretty scary plants and animals you know like dana said that kind of just take over and breed and grow non-stop to a point where it becomes dangerous or a huge threat to the local ecology they kill off plants they kill off other animals so i want to introduce to you another specific invasive species called the cane toad and like the snail it's pretty cute, too. It's like the classic toad, like what you think of toad in your head. Okay. It's like brown, and it's stocky, and you know, it's a land toad. And, yeah. yeah, but, but adorable in a, in a weird way. And it's native to Central and South America, and they are prolific eaters and prolific breeders. And they're actually quite useful to some countries and cultures because they can be used as agricultural pest controls because they eat a lot of uh, bugs right. or pests. Sure, sure. Here's, here's problem number one. Many people thought, oh, rad. Hey, this toad is so effective against crops. We should bring them over to our territory and have the toad eat our pests. And cane toads were introduced to a lot of island nations, Puerto Rico, also to Florida, even to Australia, as a way to protect crops, specifically sugar cane crops. Uh, hence oh, cane toads. Toad. Hence cane toads, because they would eat cane beetles that would infect sugar cane crops. But not all of these pest control experiment introductions were, were successful. It failed in Australia because the mm. beetles, they're pretty smart. They actually hang out high up oh. on the sugar cane. And these toads are like sucky climbers. <laughs> <laughs> and so the toads didn't really contribute at all uh, to the actual pest control. And so you just have a bunch of kind of useless foreign toads hanging out, <laughs> eating, and having sex and breeding in Australia, just chilling. Layabout lay toads. <laughs> not so, earning their keep at all. No, not at all. And here's problem number two. Cane toads are poisonous. What? Their skin is toxic, and they have several glands that would uh, secrete poison when they're threatened. Sure. Uh -huh. And uh, they are killing off other animals in the area. They when, they live get, in. when they eat them or yes. when they try to eat them. Yeah, when the other animals eat them or are in contact and they get sprayed or ingest the poison. And these animals are now dying off. And this is a huge problem in Australia. And the toads just keep churning out more poison babies. And scientists and ecologists in Australia were scrounging for solutions, and uh, which all led to this bizarre headline. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> Sausage solution to Australia's oh. cane toad invasion. Uh-oh. <laughs> so the scientists in Australia, instead of focusing on destroying the toads, they're focused on training the other animals not to eat the cane toads. So what they did was they would blend up cane toad meat <laughs> without oh. the toxin, just the meat. Uh -huh. laced it with like a mild nausea-inducing compound, <laughs> and they would extrude the mixture and make sausages like they actually yeah. use just a normal sausage machine to sort of what train them against exactly. to, to, to wean them off the taste of toad meat yep so so that sweet they, sweet toad meat <laughs> they would scatter these sausages like out in the wild <laughs> and animals who smell the toad meat will then eat the sausage they'll throw up or get sick and and quickly train train right. themselves thinking right. You know what? I'm gonna stay away from toad meat. Yep. Obviously, the sausage solution is not very scalable. You know, I mean, this works for a, a maybe a smaller region, but you yeah. you know, you can't do it for like whole countries or whatever. And one of the researchers said, 
It would be impossible to put baits out right across the country. I can tell from blending up dead toads in a sausage maker, it's a lot of work. <laughs> oh, I, can, yeah. I can picture that. Like, what is my life? What, is my job? <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah. I got a PhD yeah. for this. I'm a ranger, but here I am. <laughs> like, sitting in front of a sausage maker. Yeah. So there you go. A, a very creative way, I would say, to uh, try to stop the cane toad Right, invasion. Right, right. Very, very creative, but very, very strange. I am sure that there that we have more than one listener out there right now wondering. I wonder what cane toad sausage tastes no! like. Oh, chicken, <laughs> like chicken apple sausage. Well, I've got a segment here for you guys that I have entitled "What's That Buzzing Sound." And this segment is about one of my personal just creepy crawly nightmares, which is bugs in your ears. Like just as a kid, I don't don't know if it's rational or irrational, but I just like that was the thing that just always sent shivers down my spine more than anything. Snakes, spiders, whatever. Just the idea of a bug getting inside my ear and flitting around. It just, yeah, it just makes me squirm right now even talking about it. Or just like when you hear mosquito, you're like, ah, yeah, yeah. Well, hear about people with cockroaches in their ears. Ears. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Once I came to the hostel and I looked on my pillow and there's a worm on the pillow. I couldn't go to sleep that night. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, let's get some of the urban legends around okay. this out of the way first. We've heard these stories of bugs, whatever type, crawling and eating people's brains or laying eggs inside yes. their head. And, all right. N- none of those are true. What? Like bugs, they they don't crawl in. They're not going to crawl in and eat your brain. They, bugs do not crawl in and lay eggs inside your skull. My brain um, is so delicious. <laughs> <laughs> but my brain's so tasty. Yeah. These are not true. These are not true. Good. Now, what is true is that bugs will crawl inside your ears sometimes. And Dana, as you said, there have been stories in the news of kids waking up with a cockroach that had crawled inside their ear over the night. Or ah, it just it just drives me crazy thinking about recently, it. Recently, I remember not recently, but uh, maybe last year, some woman in China had a spider crawl into her ear. Sure. And it got yeah. stuck. Yeah. And that's the thing. They get stuck in this there. This does. This gets, they do. They crawl in and more often than not, they when you hear about it, it's because they got stuck in there. They're not doing it to attack your brain. They're not doing it to lay eggs. They're doing it because they're just dumb bugs, really. Like, <laughs> it's, I mean, the entomologists, they really say, like, the, the reason that a bug would crawl inside your ear is it's just looking for warmth maybe looking for moisture, and it just gets stuck. It gets in there. It's like, okay, well, maybe it's nice and warm for a while. When it comes time to leave, they can't always find their way out. A lot of twists and turns inside <laughs> there. We've all, seen that, we've all seen that cutaway view. So, David Bowie in my yeah. ear. <laughs> <laughs> so I've just, I've got some great anecdotes here, historical anecdotes of bugs in people's ears. That oh. have, that, and I, this is my way of facing my fear, okay? okay. Like I'm humor. Just, I'm right. confronting it, you know, head on or ear, ear on, on at least, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> One of the, one of the first stories I heard about this, I remember this was a long time ago, was uh, you know David Letterman. He you know he's notorious actually being a speeder. He loves to drive fast. One of the stories when he was pulled over speeding, this was years ago. He was driving late at night. Cop pulls him over, pulls down the window. May or not recognize him right away, but ultimately it's Mr. Letterman. What's going on? And he's like, Officer, I'm sorry, I've got a moth stuck in my ear. Oh. And what had happened was he was at home and moth flying around his head, and it either flew in there just being a dumb moth, or he may have knocked it inside his ear. 
but it got in the ear and oh, crawled a little bit further in, God, and no. then you can hear the moth flying around in there, flapping around, and if you can imagine, you can't get it out yourself. <laughs> so he gets in the car and speeds off to the hospital. That's Karen's fear bug. Yeah. She's red. I had the She's advantage so of preparing turned... this segment. But... It's the flapping. Gross. Yeah, it is. It is. This was just a couple years ago. There was a, a player for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, a baseball player named uh, Matt Holiday. There's footage of this because it happened during a game. He was out, he was out in the outfield oh. and a moth flew in his ear while he's just oh, out no. in the field. And the footage, you sort of see him at first, like, kind of like, <laughs> what's going on, you know? And then like he has to come out of the game. I mean, he has to come out of the game eventually. They yeah. take him into the trainer's room. And like, if this happened to you, what would be the first thing that you would try to get a moth out of your ear? You know, that seems like the first thing I would try too. is just reach in there no, and pull it out with tweezers. They, they, they darkened the room and held a light up next to his ear. Smart. I, yeah, see, I don't that's know. pretty smart. It's either really smart or really naive, but suffice it to say it didn't work. But he's stuck. Yeah, right. It's I l- stuck. Lure him out with food? No, light. No, light. the light didn't work. They had to reach in with a... It would be funny if they set his head on fire. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like, match. Closer, closer. <laughs> they, they had to pull it out with a pair of tweezers. Yeah. Um, so he's oh. fine now. I will pee in my pants <laughs> oh my and God. I will faint yeah. if that happens. You're like, just knock me out. This is Tell why, me out. everybody, you should listen to podcasts and music at all times <laughs> and have <laughs> earphones in your ears <laughs> to prevent this. This is this is our mission. Good job, Ray Mission. <laughs> listen a, to our a podcast. Public, it's a public health yeah. Uh, yeah. issue. And therefore, moths will not fly into your ear. <laughs> they lost that game, by the way, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a little distracting, Yeah, it was unfortunate. Yeah. So, but this, this, this anecdote of, what's that buzzing sound? I think this one just tops them all. And this one... It just, it, there's so many steps at which this story becomes uh, cringeworthy. Uh, I want to talk to you about a man named John Hanning Speak, S-P-E-K-E. And he was a British explorer, uh, did a lot of exploring around Africa uh, in the 1800s mainly. Uh, one of the things that he was really keen on finding was the source of the Nile. And so oh. on one of his expedition trips in Africa, he's out camping one night and notices just tons of these little beetles all over his tent. Oh, and all, like you know, Jones. crawling, driving him crazy, right? You know, tiny, tiny little beetles. One of the beetles ended up crawling inside his ear, flitting around and driving him just bananas. And he's like, I got to get this beetle out of my ear, which would probably be my reaction too. He kind of panicked a little bit. Now, you know, he said like the first thing I might try is maybe some tweezers, maybe get someone else to look in there. Oh, you know what? Before you continue your story, Uh other than tweezers, the thing is it's alive and it's moving. So I don't want to tweeze that because maybe they'll pull away or whatever. Mm. I think what I would do, and this is, I'm not a first aid expert. I would put water in my ear to hope to drown the bug and <laughs> then have a first. flow out. That's actually that's actually not a bad idea. And that is what some people have tried in cases. Like people tried like mineral oils or water yeah. to try and get it out. Yeah. He, for whatever reason, oh, no. he thought melted butter might be the best thing to pour in there. I guess wow. maybe it was the only oil he had access to. So he poured some melted butter in his ear, did not get the beetle out. So then he started jabbing at it, basically. Oh. Um, he had like a little pocket knife. No, 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 no. So no. he's trying to poke at it no, 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 and no, no. dig it out and or kill it. So he eventually kills the beetle sure. inside his ear. And as you say, Karen, the problem is like, oh, wait, now it's dead. Now this thing isn't going to help me <laughs> come out at all. So he's got a dead beetle inside his ear. And, and butter. Right, and butter. butter. And he, you know, is stabbing. And I, so it got infected. Things turned really bad for him from here. It got infected and started swelling up on the inside of his head. Uh, his face got distorted. He had boils. Oh. It made him nearly deaf. 
for like several months because of just the pressure, you know, on his ear passages and there. He couldn't hear, he was driving crazy. It actually, the infection, this gets really gross, guys. I'm sorry. The infection oh. ate a hole between his ear and his nose because, you know, they are oh. sort of connected back there. And it led to this horrifying oh. slash hilarious anecdote from his journals that I will read to you here. <laughs> okay. okay. So this is quoting from his journals talking about the infection or the tumor as he refers to it. For many months, the tumor made me almost deaf and ate a hole between the ear and the nose so that when I blew it, my ear whistled so audibly that those who heard it laugh. (laughs) Six or seven months after this accident happened, bits of the beetle, a leg, a wing, or parts of the body came away in the wax. So it did find its way out eventually, but that is absolutely the most horrifying. That is my nightmare town scenario is a bug crawling in there and it dying in there. I looked it up. So what are you supposed to do if this happened? But here are the right steps. Sure. So first, you lie down on a flat surface with the bug-infested ear facing up. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, so that you're you're comfortable. Right. The next step is to drape the patient with several white or light-colored absorbent towels. The light color of the draping will make spotting the insect much easier after the removal process. Mm. <laughs> then you slowly fill the ear with baby oil, mineral yeah. oil, or vegetable oil, or even olive oil. And this will kill the insect, causing it to stop moving. And then what happens is then you just keep flushing your ear with tepid water to try to, like, flush the bug out. Wow. I'm curious if nobody wanted to help that guy. I guess not because they laugh when his life was so All right, I'm going to go lie down now. Get my heart rate back to normal. (laughs) Uh, All right, this is a good time. We're going to take a break and a word from our sponsor. Traffic jams, tailgating pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. And welcome back. You're listening to Good Job Brain. And this week we're talking about creepy crawlies. You're so very special. I'll have that special. But I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. What the heck am I doing here? I don't belong here. I'm a creep. I'm a nut job. 
so this is not necessarily crawly, but it's definitely creepy. Okay. I, I have a quiz for you guys. It's yeah. about Stephen King, the master uh, of horror. Oh. 56 novels, five books, 13 collections, two comics, a script. He's influenced a lot of horror and sci-fi writers. Super creep, super creep, (laughs) super creepy. (laughs) Nice. So for this quiz, I'm going to see how well you guys know his body of work. So I will give you some clues about the novel that I'm talking about or the story that I'm talking about. And I'll start really general, kind of obscure, and then I'll get more specific. As we go along? As we go along. Got it. And so a special rule I want to try is... You can buzz in and answer, but you can't. You can't answer two times in a row. So you have to wait till the other Got person. It. Oh, okay. Tries. We'll take turns. Got yeah, it. Okay. but we can buzz in as soon as we think we know the answer. Yes. All right. Okay. Okay. Number one. This was Stephen King's first published novel. One of the. Colin. Ooh. Was it Carrie? Yes. Oh, what are the other clues? It was one of the most frequently banned books in U.S. schools. Huh. huh. There's a new theatrical adaptation coming out this year. Oh, yeah, with um, right. yeah. Chloe Morenz and uh, Julian Moore. Yeah. Mm. And it tells the story of a high school girl with telekinetic powers who uses them to exact revenge on the people who tease her. <laughs> that was his first published book. I know. Man, it's at the bar high. I know. Yeah. <laughs> this was Stephen King's second novel. It was originally titled Second Coming. It's about a town where all the residents become vampires. Oh, uh... This is the dead zone? No. <sighs> and the name is a shorter version of Jerusalem's lot. Karen? No, it's not. I was going to say Pet Cemetery, which is no. not. You're going to be so mad. What? Salem's lot. Oh! <laughs> I didn't know that Salem's Lot was short for Jerusalem. I did lot not know that. I did not know that. Oh, Jerusalem! Salem! Salem. I don't think I ever noticed that. All right. The title for this novel was inspired by John Lennon's song, Instant Karma. It was adapted into a TV miniseries in 1997. Oh. Uh, oh, uh, that, is that uh, it? No. Uh, huh. Keep going. Keep uh, going. Before that, it was a movie directed by Stanley Kubrick. Oh. Inspired by a stay at Colorado's Stanley Hotel during the off-season. Karen? Is this the dr- wish, dream, wish, dream, taker, wish? <laughs> no. no. Okay. Uh, no. It's uh, The Shining. I didn't know it took its name as an inspiration, or that was inspired by uh, John Lennon's song. Yeah, there's a line in there about shining on. Yeah, we'll all shine on. Interesting. Yeah. That's a good one. Mm. All right. This novel was published in 1981. The name of the novel is based on the nom de guerre of Willie Wolf, one of the men responsible for orchestrating the kidnap of Patty Hearst. A bat bites the main character on the nose. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. I, I was going to buzz in one question earlier. That's uh, Cujo. Yes. Yes. Oh, isn't Cujo about the dog? Yeah. yeah. You know what kind of dog? Is it a Mastiff? No, I think he's a St. Bernard. St. Bernard. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. This novel was adapted into a movie the same year it was released as a novel. Mm. Karen. The Green Mile. Uh, this is not the one I'm yeah. thinking of. It's possible. I have Is it Misery? Nope. It was after it was a big name. Karen. Christine. Yes. Oh! Wow. The killer car, right? The killer car. The killer car. The titular character is not usually an animate object. (laughs) The titular character is a 1958 Plymouth Fury. Oh, a Plymouth Fury? Yeah. Clever. All right, last one. 
Stephen King actually put away this novel and he didn't want to release it, but he, he submitted it to Doubleday when he needed another novel for his contract. Oh. It must be. So it must be a big hit. One of the words in the title is misspelled on purpose, but it's a misspelled word. Oh. Is that Pet Cemetery? Oh! Yes. Yes. It's Pet Cemetery. Good job, you guys. That was good. Oh, Master of the Creep. Do you guys know what spontaneous generation is? I don't know. Is that like when you cut a worm in half and both halves grow back? <laughs> um, close, kind of. It's, it's a theory. According to this theory, um, living things come forth from non-living things. Ah, uh, okay. It's a very old oh, school yeah. way of thinking. Like maggots come from meat. Right, yep. right, yeah, right, exactly. Right, right. This even dates back to like the Greek philosophers. Aristotle talked about it a lot. And the theory is that you know, there are different elements in the world. There's air, there's water, and through different combinations of that, life can be generated. It's funny to sit here and be like, wow, they're really dumb. <laughs> but this is like centuries and centuries of, of people without the right technology or, or yeah. um, oh. you know, tools to, to they were, they find were out putting, about cells. They were putting forth a theory mm -hmm. and their observations held up that theory mm -hmm. as best as they could. Yeah. And it's not that bad. Except would you ever want to eat meat if you really thought that it, like, exactly. it could become flies, flies. with air? <laughs> From the days of Aristotle, you know, spontaneous generation is discussed as a fact in literature well into the Renaissance. Um, even Shakespeare, he discusses snakes and crocodiles and other creepy crawlies forming from the mud mm. and it kind of made sense because the observation is oh well all these crocodiles are living in the river hang out in the mud they must therefore come from mud in 1668 italian physician uh, francesco reddy disproved the theory of spontaneous generation and what he did was pretty basic popular claim or the popular example is yes there's meat and maggots come out from the meat and so what he did was he had samples of rotting meat that some were fully exposed to the air, mm -hmm. uh, some were partially exposed, and some uh, some of the meat was not exposed to air at all, like a, in a container of some sort. Obviously, the meat that was exposed to air had maggots and, and flies, and, and the meat that was enclosed did not. This discovery completely changed the way people viewed decomposition of organisms. He didn't know it at the time, but Francesco Reddy really is kind of the founding father of what we call forensic entomology. Mm. Huh. And forensic entomology is application and study of insects and other bugs and arthropods to criminal and legal matters, thanks to his maggot meat experiment. And now it is a, a scientific way for experts sure. to determine the time of death yeah. of I mean, bodies and we've, crimes. We've seen it on the, the TV cop shows, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, based on the level of maggots and decomposition, time of death was 18 hours ago or yeah. whatever. And mm -hmm. the concept of forensic entomology kind of dates back back a while ago, but it was within the last 30 years that it, it has become a, a certified kind of a system mm. to explore feasible sources for evidence in, in uh, investigations and whatnot, just uh. from bugs. Here's another way that bugs help criminal matters. Mm. Um, there's a certain type of beetle and they're flesh eating beetles. Forensic labs would use these bugs to help them clean skeletons. Oh, yeah, right, oh. right. I've heard about this. On bones. On bones. on bones. I've yeah. seen it on the TV show Bones. Oh, really? <laughs> and it happens on bones. But <laughs> <laughs> You release these beetles, and they can eat all the meat, all the hide, all the skin, and leave a pristine skeleton. <laughs> and this is actually really helpful because the other way, the old way is, 
they would use a lot of harsh chemicals. Right. And mm -hmm. that might deteriorate the surface of the bone. Well, these beetles are getting the job done, unlike those lazy-ass cane toads. <laughs> <laughs> the Natural History Museum in London, uh, a while ago, they had a, a flesh-eating bug cam. Uh -huh. And you can see <laughs> uh, the bugs. But the thing is, you have to keep them enclosed because if... Some because they escape. eat flesh. Yes, they eat <laughs> flesh. They eat organic material. They're also known as bow bugs because it's a problem for violinists because uh, they like to eat the bow uh, because mm. it's made out of horse hair. And so they would infest. And it would just degrade and snap. Mm -hmm. Eat all those huh. strings. There you go. But, you know, it's, it's cool. Creepy Crawlies actually helping out, unlike the cane toads. Yeah. <laughs> Man, this episode has been like an emotional... I know. <laughs> Roller coaster. When I, when I was laying in bed this morning thinking about the show, I'm like, oh, we're going to be talking about some creepy, dark stuff. <laughs> Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery, from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories, and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts, or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. And Colin, you have a last uh, trivia bit for us. I do, I do. Um, and again, bring I, it I, home. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just now noticing a theme among my segments, which is like invading my body. You know <laughs> what I mean? Fear. Like that's, that's your core fear. It really is. I mean, yeah. maybe it's why, like, yeah, like you know, Alien and Aliens movies are just so visceral for me. Yeah. You guys, uh, have you heard of dracunculiasis? Is it scientific name? It is also known as the guinea worm. Are they drunk? <laughs> like dracunculiasis. Like they are parasites. They're redonculus and, and <laughs> drunk. It is fun to You're say. Drunkoculus. Yeah. Drunkoculiasis. These are one of a family of parasitic worms, ne nematodes, that invade your body and have most of their life cycle inside your body. And yeah, just just gird yourself now. Gird yourself now. It I'm so grossed out by the whole idea of parasites in your body, but I'm also so interested yeah, in yeah. it. Yeah, it's almost what it's I it is is you can't look away, but I I need to know more about it. Mm -hmm. It's been a little bit higher profile recently. Jimmy Carter, the Carter Center, one of their big causes is working to try and wipe out the guinea worm. And okay, so yeah. he's been you know, making the rounds recently, giving a lot of interviews about it. So uh, it's called the guinea worm. Um, it was named basically when they started seeing it along uh, the Guinea coast in Africa. Okay. So nothing he, to do with guinea pigs. Nothing to do with no. guinea pigs, yeah. It is shrinking in its area now, thanks to, Jim, to Jimmy Carter and other yeah. people like him. Uh, the drucunculiasis, uh, it's Latin for affliction with little dragons. Whoa. Yeah. That's kind of beautiful. It is beautiful yeah. and yet really frightening. Um, oh, it's huh. supposed to be one of the most painful parasites to deal oh. with. So let me just walk you through the it's life like a cycle. Game of Thrones thing. It huh? really yeah. does. In fact, you know, it, that's, that's a really good way of putting it. This sounds like a torture from Game of Thrones. Yeah. So here's the life cycle with a human. <laughs> it starts off uh, if you drink in contaminated water. And what's in the water are little, little tiny water fleas. And the water fleas, they themselves are infected with the larva for the guinea worm. Okay. So you drink the contaminated water. The water fleas go into your, your gut, your system. They die. When they die, the larvae come out of the fleas and they begin the larval life cycle inside you. Mm -hmm. This cycle takes up to a year. The worm that grows, the fertilized female worm, 
travels inside your body down your leg. This is nightmare town oh. material, absolutely. Travels uh-huh. down your leg, usually to your foot, your ankle region. Because they, they, I mean, they can sense gravity. Right, right. Yeah. Well, it's also, this is part of their life cycle. I mean, you know, their evolution too. Uh, a blister will start to form on your foot, a little cyst or blister, and eventually it'll, it'll burst open. The worm will sort of stick her head out like, hey, world, I'm here. And the way that this works for the worm is that if you're standing in water at this point again, the worm is releasing new larvae back into the water supply. And the larvae get eaten by water fleas. And then the cycle continues. All right. So but here's where it just it just absolutely horrifying. (laughs) When the worm like pokes its head out of your body, there's really only one basic treatment. And this treatment has been this way for hundreds if not thousands of years goes back to ancient Egypt even the same treatment was you grab the head of the worm you wrap it around a stick and you slowly (gasps) twist it and pull it out of your body on the quick side you could maybe get it out in you know a couple hours or something like that but on the long side this could take weeks or months to get that long it's that long long and it's oh I mean it can many 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 inches even feet long when they grow and are fully fertilized they're they're really disgusting to see and you got to do it slowly and carefully so it's you might do like a turn a day and just leave it there and another turn the next day and meanwhile you've got this worm that's half in your body half outside your body thing. Like, is this, this is, does it hurt oh it hurts like crazy uh, i want to refer you back to the latin name karen <laughs> affliction with little dragons people have described the sensation of it yeah being pulled out as if it's just on fire like somebody is holding a hot poker to your foot the entire time that you're pulling this thing out it's just Jeez. absolutely absolutely gruesome uh, you can't like time. drink something or eat medicine and, and have that kill the worm from the inside in your body. Nope. I guess nope. you got to get it out. Because well, it's so, coming out of your foot. So yeah. Oh, it's not like, left your gut. This is sort of the good and the bad of uh, dealing with guinea worms is that – so they focus the efforts on prevention, really. Like if you can just cut off the beginning of the life cycle, just get people drinking clean water, just filtered water is as simple mm-hmm. as that. This, Yeah, they say that they've gotten it down to uh, only four countries in Africa now wow. are the only places that it's still prevalent. They've made amazing progress on it. Just without medicine is the good part. I mean, like you don't need to get out and get vaccines to people. You don't just need to a lot of water. nets, filters, whatever you can do, access to clean water. And so they're, they're saying that this might be the first parasitic disease to be eradicated. <gasps> Wow. That is that is their hope. And I thought that was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. First ever. Yeah. The first parasitic disease to be eradicated, at least without the use of medicine or anything like Got that. It. Yeah. Not just that it dies off. Or, isn't that crazy? Wow. Yeah. So there's Congrats, a little bit, of a, little bit of a happy ending there. No, um, I think it's yeah, super happy. That is a happy ending. Yeah. yeah. That's a happy note to end sure. our show, our episode about <laughs> creepy crawlies. I think it's actually very good news. Thank you guys for joining me. And thanks to you guys, listeners, for listening in. Hope you learned a lot about things, uh, bugs in your ear, Stephen King, cane toads, and <laughs> snails, and thank Jimmy Carter. Yes. Yeah. You can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and also on our website, goodjobbrain.com. And check out our sponsor at bonobos.com. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. quiz. Bye. Bye. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. 
the Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.